What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. And I want to say at the beginning of the show so that people will understand, yes, we are Black Free Thinkers. But no, we are not the Kanye and Candace Owens kind. So I just want to make sure that you do understand that. And um, today's show, you know, all week I've been contemplating on what I wanted to talk about next um, and what's been going on in the news and, and all of these things. So I titled the show today, Time for Change. And it reads, please join us as we discuss why it's time for a change. We understand that we're all different and that's fine. However, we can't forget that even though we're different, we're still subjected to the same laws and treatment, regardless of who we may think we are. And that basically is directed at communities of color, more so the black community. Because you've heard us talking about how, you know, capitalism will not save us, loving white people in, in, in extending compassion and empathy to them will not change the situation. It will not save us. And a number of things, you know, your degrees will not save you. Your money will not save you. And there have been countless examples of this in the news in regards to violence that's taken, you know, to the black community and violence that is put upon black people in this country. So, you know, um, We have this 2020 election coming up. We all know that I am not happy with Biden at all. And I have made a conscious choice to not bash or trash Kamala Harris. And I have my reasons for that. And, you know, there are some things that she's done in the past that are extremely problematic. And, you know, I'm not writing those off. I'm not giving her a pass. I'm not making excuses. You know, what I'm saying is you have a number of people out here making it plain and simple as to why that there are conflicts with her. And I posted an article talking about black women progressives that are torn by Kamala's, you know, um, vice presidential nomination, right? And there are reasons for that. And so I'm not here to really go over that. But today I decided that, you know, I tear into the Democrats a lot. And we all know how I feel about the Republicans because I tear into them as well. But I I tend to tear into the Democrats, you know, a little harder because of the deception, because of, you know, the malfeasance, the, the blatant disregard to black issues and right now how they're trying to co-opt Black Lives Matter. Now, you know, on the show, I talk about these different links, and so I decided to do something different. 
all the links I'm going to talk about today, you can find them right now on Reddit. I just posted them within the last 10, 15 minutes, and you can find them. So um, that's easier. I do plan on posting them on Facebook and, and possibly Twitter, but if you really want to find the links that I talk about plus more that I don't discuss on the show, you can go to our forum on Reddit, so reddit.com slash blackfreethinkers. And you can find the links there. So since I decided that, you know, I'm going to try to be halfway nice today, um, there's an article, usatoday.com, right? And the title of the article is Fact Check, Democratic Party Did Not Found the KKK, Did Not Start the Civil War. And this was written by Devin Link. Again, Devin Link. Fact check, Democratic Party did not found the KKK, did not start the Civil War. Now, this is the thing. That's a little skewed there. And, you know, I'll admit, I used to be one of those people that I would say, you know, um, the Democratic Party and, and, and talk about their links to the KKK and Civil War, you know, and, and the fact that they wanted to preserve slavery. Now, with this particular article here, if you go and you look at it, and and you'll see that they basically were quoting some tweets, if you will. And this one here says, everybody knows that Abraham Lincoln fought to free the slaves, but he also created the Republican Party and was the leader of it to help fight to free the slaves. Yet it's said that most black people still vote for Democrats who fought to keep the slaves. And and there is a lot of nuance to this particular argument. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, but it was as a punishment to the South for trying to succeed from the Union, right? And basically, you know, there are letters out there. If you go and you look up Abraham Lincoln, you'll find some letters that he had written saying that he didn't necessarily want to free the slaves. As a matter of fact, he became inebriated one day, and I think it was one or two days after the emancipation, in which he wanted to order the slaves or the black people back into slavery, right? And so... If you go down a little bit deeper into this article, it talks here about how historians agree that although factions of the Democratic Party did majorly contribute to the Civil War start and the KKK's founding, it is inaccurate to say the party is responsible for either. Now, this is the issue for me, is that a lot of these people, you know, quite a few of them left the Democratic Party party and went over to the Republicans, and, and, and it's just at one point in time, there was like this crisscross, and that happened with FDR and the New Deal. Even though blacks were excluded from the New Deal, and we've talked about how, you know, they, they instead of it being a federal program, they pushed the money down to the states to allow the states to administer the funds. Right, and this is how they were able to discriminate against black people, especially in the South. Whereas once we were emancipated, we were subjected to Jim Crow laws, Jim Crow laws, right? But there was also Jim Crow in the North as well. And I put an article about that on my Facebook 
and it's on Twitter somewhere, but, you know, it's talking about the Jim Crow North, and it was on the AAIHS website, so you can look that up. But, um, again, you know, as it says, this is not a new argument. And, you know, one of the issues I have with the current Democratic Party is basically, you know, they have not done enough to appeal to communities of color. And I do they I do believe that they take it for granted that we're going to vote for them because, well, what other choice do we have? We have the Republicans, and these Republicans, basically, many of them are just outright racist. And, of course, they don't want to call themselves racist. They'll tell you they don't have a racist bone in their bodies, or they'll defend each other automatically. They'll start gaslighting you. And, and you know, you all, you, you know how this works, especially if you worked in academia or corporate America. They automatically go on the defense, and the person who made the complaint now becomes the target, which is why you have a lot of black and brown people who do not bring complaints to the Employee Labor Relations Board. They do not take it to HR. They don't take it to their manager. They just take it. And the thing is, is that, you know, white people know what position that we're put in. And especially if they spin it and they basically change the narratives so that they are now the victim. And we've seen this happen, especially with white women. So anyway, getting back to this here, um, you know, read that article. Read that article because it's interesting because, you know, I talk about, you know, a variety of communities, but, you know, I also get on the case specifically of the atheist community. They had uh, basically you had American atheists who desperately wanted to be a part of the Republican faction of the Republican Party. You know, these are the libertarians and libertarians is nothing but, as they say, Republican light or Republicans that like to smoke weed. Right. And so they went to CPAC, which is a conservative type of conference convention that they have every year. And they had a black woman um, by the name of Jamila Bay get up and speak. And she talked about this very specific thing about the Democrats and, and you know, the KKK and slavery and, and segregation and all of those things. And was basically, you know, asking CPAC in the Republican Party to accept the atheist community. Now, personally, I believe that, you know, Jamila was used, and I've state, stated that on a number of occasions. And But this is what happens. And this is why, you know, I, I talk about these things and why I have a particular disdain for the Libertarian Party and what they stand for. But, you know, again, you know, you have a lot of these Republicans, especially some black Republicans now, that are out there, prop, you know, basically perpetuating these, these, these stories and propagating a lot of false narratives, right? And it's important that you guys understand it and, you be able, and that you're able to respond to them with good information, and because, you know, I'm in a couple of groups, and, you know, the the black Republicans that have been hired by the, the Trump administration or the Trump campaign, 
they are out there and they are doing a, a, a pretty good job disrupting some of these groups while putting out a lot of, you know, propaganda, if you will. Now, and again, what many of them are doing is they're interspersing enough truth, a little bit of truth, to make that false narrative seem plausible. And this is why I post links like this, so that you all can go out and read this for yourself and to have, you know, um, a better understanding, you know, because they, they, they put out questions like, you know, the Democrats were against the civil rights movement, certain parts of the Democratic Party, um, that the Republicans were opposed to the civil rights movement. And it wasn't all the Republicans as well. And it's just, it's, it's just interesting. But be careful with these memes and these arguments that are being put out there because, again, it's enough truth in it for it to be confusing and for it to be plausible and credible. So please, you know, start fact-checking these things. And, um, you know, because it is a false trope. It's a false narrative. And um, it's just, um, it's important for you to arm yourself with, with some of these truths here so that you won't get sucked up into it. I don't want you to become discouraged. I don't want you to become angry. I don't want you to become apathetic, if you will. You know, this is something that we're working against. And, and basically, you know, I understand because, you know, I, after the Cheddar Tater Top was elected, you know, I was contemplating on whether I was ever going to vote again or not. And even with this election here, I'm going to vote, but primarily for the local state, you know, um, um, candidates, right? And, of course, I'm going to vote for Lauren Underwood, you know, the black woman from Illinois that was elected to the House of Representatives against major odds. But she's been doing a wonderful job up there, and people are sleeping on Lauren. Don't sleep on Lauren Underwood. You know, go and look her up and look at her stance. She's a nurse, and and she saw what was happening with the Affordable Care Act and, and Medicare and, and all again, all of these false and negative narratives that are out there, right? And she decided she wanted to get out there and make a change, and that's what she did. You are seeing record numbers of women, but especially black women, running for office across this country, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I support, um, you know, a number of organizations that are out here um, encouraging black women to run for office. So if you're a black woman out there, yes, you can. You can do it. Trayvon Martin's mom lost by, I believe it was like 331 votes or something like that. 300 votes, you guys. So, you know, your vote does make a difference. And, again, that was the local election. And the local politics are closer to you because it has a more direct bearing on what happens in your life. And again, as I stated earlier, with some of these federal programs that they have, they allow the states to administer them. And that's why I say state politics is very important as well. 
So, again, just, you know, I'm just trying to put a little bit of that out there. And, um, you know, but the Democrats are really bad about doing some of the same things. I see a number of other communities in this particular article is talking about a splinter of a splinter of the Democratic Party really contributed to the succession and the coming of the war. It would be wrong to say the Democratic Party started the Civil War. It would be right to say some Democrats really contributed to the start of the Civil War. You know, you know, if it was only a splinter of a splinter, why would you say some? You would say very, very few. But that's just me, and I'm quibbling over semantics, if you will. So that's that's how that goes. But um, again, great article. It talks about the KKK and how it was founded in 1866 by ex-Confederate soldiers Frank McCord, Richard Reed, John Lester, John Kennedy, J. Calvin Jones, James Crow in Pulaski, Tennessee, and how it was originally a social club but became a violent white supremacist group. Now, go back, look this up, and again, you know, I challenge you to research things that I'm telling you. I want you to. I encourage you to do that. You know, and even, you know, I've I've perpetuated some of these same talking points, if you will, and I was wrong. So, you know, I'll admit that, but I wasn't completely wrong. But <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be a little bit more careful in 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 what I put out there. You know, I am cautious, but even more, and as time goes on and I start launching a couple of new projects, you'll understand why, you know. But, um, you know, again, just go and read the history, understand the history, fact check these people coming into the groups because, again, they include just a sprinkle of the truth, enough of the truth to make it seem plausible and credible. And, you know, and I say question everything. And when I say question everything, I'm not only talking about, you know, political issues, cultural issues. I'm talking about even when you go to church, when you're talking to your friends and family, you know. Um, and, and I give you all this information because, you know, sometimes, you know, in the past, and even now, sometimes when I'm confronted by certain people, and of course they want to debate, and I don't believe in debating. It's not that serious to me, right? I'll make my points, you make your points, but see, people try to talk over you, and in addition to trying to talk over you, you know, they they don't want to allow you to have a word in edgewise, and they feel as though if they do that, then they're winning the debate, and that's not true, and I'm not about to have a screaming fest with anyone, and um, and it's just really interesting. But anyway, so I want you to go and I want you to read this. But um, when it comes down to KKK members, yes, there were some that were Democrats. There are some that are Democrats now, you know, and, and Republicans. So, I mean, you know, again, you saw all the controversy in the past couple of years where you have these leaders of these countries, you know, political leaders, what have you, in, in blackface. Hell, even Prince Harry got caught up in blackface. And so when all of these things came out, you know, of course they were embarrassed. And it doesn't take away from the truth, but, you know, the narrative that's being put forth is that people change. 
and people evolve. And that's the argument that many of us are hearing about Joe Biden and 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 his current stance on issues in this country. And if you go back and you look at the history of Joe Biden, is riddled with you know um, policies that were you know racist, sexist. You know, look at the treatment that Anita Hill received from Joe Biden. And if you look at Joe Biden's um, voting history in Congress, you'll see that he voted with the Republicans half the time, you know, and so, I mean, those are things that need to be examined, you know, and that's not to take away from, you know, Kamala Harris's um, position as district attorney and, you know, attorney general in California, whereas they were putting, you know, parents of color, black and brown parents in jail for truancy. And, and, you know, children being locked up in a number of things. So, you know, again, while I will not bash her, I will not, you know, not talk about the issues that are problematic. So, again, go out there and, and, and take a look. But, you know, in this article, it talks about how the political parties switch stances on racial progress. And even to this day now, you know, you have a lot of Democrats that are out here, and they know what to say. They call themselves woke. They'll they'll say Black Lives Matter until they turn purple in public. But in private, that conversation is a little bit different, especially when they're talking to other white people. And this is one of the reasons why I say that they're trying to co-opt, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and basically whitewash it and filter it and and, and, and <laughs> basically attempting to control the narrative to make that particular social movement as well as the other social movements, you know, trying to trying to dilute them, if you will, trying to defame them, right? And and what's interesting is that you have a lot of other social movements out here that are being put into the same category as the Black Lives Matter group. And that's, that's dangerous for a number of reasons, right? Because you have different movements with different objectives and different agendas. And, you know, one thing that I see happening now is with some of these progressive liberal whites and some moderate whites, as well as some, you know, I guess I'll call them liberal-leaning Republicans, you know, left of center, you know, the one or two of them that are out there. And, you know, what they're trying to do, especially when you have Reverend Al Sharpton, he's also doing this, they're trying to broaden and change the scope of many of these movements, including Black Lives Matter, and 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 what they're trying to do, and they're playing into some of the Republican talking points in regards to so-called black-on-black violence, right? Which there's no such thing. Now, I mean, black-on-black crime, that's what they try to say. There is black-on-black violence, but it's not black-on-black crime. However, they do not want to address white-on-white crime, if that's such a thing, or white-on-white violence. Again, it's about 
the people, most crimes are committed by people that you know or are associated with or are familiar with. And many of these crimes are crimes of convenience, if you will, you know, who's closest to them, who they believe that they could, you know, harm and not receive any damage or very little damage, you know, uh, as a consequence. And so, you know, when I see them trying to force these different movements, but specifically Black Lives Matter, into addressing intracommunal violence, you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't need to be addressed, but what I'm saying is is that if we're going to talk about intracommunal violence, if we're going to talk about black-on-black violence, you know, then we have to talk about all of the violence. We have to talk about the violence that created those situations. So, you know, there's a lot of despair. There's a lot of hopelessness. You know, there's a lot of many things in these black and brown communities. But how did it get that way? What role did the state play in that? And there are many different types of violence. You know, again, I'll state a few of them again. Poverty. Food deserts. Lack of jobs. Lack of any opportunities, educational, economic opportunities, you know, not being able to afford daycare, lack of access to health care, all of these things and more. So before we can really truly address the intercommunal violence, we have to address their reality and what created that reality. And what happens is you have these same people basically selling solutions to the people that have been victimized. You know, and that goes from your churches all the way down to your politicians, to your public intellectuals, and your academics that are out here. And that includes some of these activists and organizers. That You know, there is no excuse for some of the shit that I've seen. So, again, you have to understand and you have to remember that there are some people out here who are nothing but self-serving opportunists, looking for an opportunity to get their shine and money on. And they're looking for ways to turn you into a commodity. And the black community has been commodified in so many different ways. And it's not just by white people. As they say, all skin folk ain't kin folk. I'm glad I got it right this time because I usually end up screwing up all those <laughs> colloquials. But anyway, um, and it's the truth. So, yeah, I want you to go and I want you to, you know, look at these. And in, these, in this particular article, it gives you other sources to go and check. Um, you know, again, you know, going back to this, this change of heart with the Democrats embracing Black Lives Matter, whereas, you know, they were, they and other social movements, and it wasn't just them, but, you know, again, they were ignored by the Democratic Party. Um, For a while, Hillary Clinton refused to give them an audience, and when they did have an audience, these, you know, organizers and activists that cover a number of different groups, not just BLM, 
And when they were given an audience, you know, again, it was a con- very controlled setting. They were only allowed to speak so much truth. And, again, when those documents, those emails came out from Podesta, you know, talking about how that they should not give BLM an audience, that they should not affirm anything that any of these organizers or activists across the board were bringing to the politicians, you know, how has that changed so quickly in four years? And, you know, there are, there are polls that have been taken, you know, some studies showing that, you know, there's been a change in the attitude in this country, you know, including amongst some white people, how they're more accepting of this now and, and that they believe that black lives do matter and 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 what's happening to black people in this country is a travesty. And what's happening to us in this country is a travesty. But again, you know, these are words. We need action. Where's the praxis, right? We need action. And basically, you know, what has Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and their teams what have they what have they put forth? in regards to addressing systemic racism in this country. So um, I want you to read this article on the Washington Post. This was released on the 21st. What is today's date? Today is the 23rd, so a couple of days ago. And the article is, Democrats embrace Black Lives Matter as a slogan, but does Biden have a plan to make it real? Again, Democrats embrace Black Lives Matter as a slogan, but does Biden have a plan to make it real? And this was written by Jerry Brewer. Again, Jerry Brewer, and this is on the Washington Post, and this extends even beyond BLM. Again, you have a number of social movements that are out here, and, you know, a number of different people with different goals, different agendas, different, you know, platforms. And, and you know, I can't say that I back them all, but I, I will acknowledge that they exist, right? And basically, you know, again, um, is this just lip service? I posted an article talking about that a day or two ago about how you have some BLM People saying that Joe Biden is giving lip service. Now, I need for you guys to understand that at this point, anything that's black and progressive and 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 out here, you know, wanting change, you know, whether it's revolutionary or radical changes or what have you, um, they're going to attribute it to Black Lives Matter. And that's not true. It's not always them. And so, again, it's about getting control of the narrative and correcting these things. But it doesn't help when the mainstream media, you know, basically embraces all of these, you know, embraces, how can I put it, creating a narrative that will help them to sensationalize a story, clickbait. So, again, it's important that you all go and read this. And, um, you know, when you hear Joe Biden and his team talking about their build back better, you know, on, go on the website and you'll find it. Um, it's interesting because when Joe Biden 
talks about these things, he'll say the black community and other communities, right? And and it seems as though many of these Democrats are really afraid of saying that they want to make specific changes to uplift the black community specifically. And a lot of that is because they're afraid of losing the white vote. They know how how racist these people in this country are. You know, I even posted an article about, and this was written by Leonard Pitts, and in that particular article, it was talking about will white people in this country choose democracy or whiteness? And, you know, if I'm going to be completely honest, they're going to choose whiteness over democracy. They always have. They always have. You know, and while history has been rewritten, if you will, the narrative out there is that, oh, well, white women are more sympathetic. No, 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 no. They have been some of the biggest proponents of white supremacy. So anyway, I want you to go and I want you to look at that. And I want you to get a better understanding why Black Lives Matter and some of these other social movements have not thrown themselves completely behind the Democratic Party. And I can tell you, you know, that I know that change is going to come about because there are many of us that are out here and we're angry about the horrible choices that we have been given in regards to Clinton and Biden and whoever the hell else is coming up next, which I believe is going to be Buttigieg and Klobuchar. And so I don't want you guys to be surprised when that happens because they will be dangled in front of our faces. They will be basically chosen because, again, Joe Biden didn't do anything to really win that nomination. And you know it and I know it. So anyway... That's what it is. So I'm going to give you the names of a few more of these articles here, and you can go and look them up because I'm going to wind it down um, pretty soon. But this other article is in the New York Times, and basically the title of this article is College Democrats Citing Racism Force Change in Leadership. Again, College Democrats Citing Racism Force Change in Leadership, and this was written by Maggie Astor. And again, Maggie Astor wrote this article, College Democrats Citing Racism, Forced Change in Leadership. You can find this on the New York Times. And this came out on July 1st. But even amongst the ranks within the Democratic Party, you know, there's, there's been some turmoil about the racism as well as the classism that's happening in the leadership across the board. This is just a smaller subset. And again, when you have these, you know, subcultures or these subgroups, they're nothing but a reflection of the mainstream. And if you go back and again, you look at the budget for the Democratic Party in regards to this election, and they've basically only reconciled 1% to 2% of that money going towards the black and brown community specifically. And in addition to that, they, you know, over the years, the, the how can I put it? The volunteers that have been out there, it's been fewer and fewer people willing to go into the black and brown communities to canvas and get people registered to vote and to encourage them and to listen to the people, to have the town halls, have these hard conversations. 
And there's a reason for it. They don't want to spend the money. But when they do have people, they expect black women particularly to go out there and do this work for free. Whereas they want to pay a lot of the white people. Oh, they're consultants and they have the experience and they have the education. And this, look, all of that experience and education has been wrong. Look at 2016. Look at how that turned out. I don't believe the polls anymore. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you guys, I believe that Cheddar Tater Todd is going to get another four years. I'm not wishing that on anybody, especially myself, because I have, you know, I have reasons to not want him in office. You know, this coronavirus thing is very real. And, you know, I'm immunocompromised. And I do everything I can to avoid the hell out of being around other people at this point. And also, I'm an introvert, so staying in the house and doing things to keep myself entertained is not a stretch for me. And in addition to that, even though I'm the baby, I was raised as an only child, so not having people around and not talking to people, that does not bother me. And I was also a latchkey kid. So we know how to go in the house and stay in the house and entertain ourselves, if you will. So, (laughs) you know, um, this is very real. And so I want you to go and take a look um, at, at, at that particular article, and I'm just going to spit some more out to you. You know, it's two more on Washington Post, right? And this first article that I want you to go and, and read is, let me see here, it's entitled, Black Voters Struggle with Racism in Both the Democratic and Republican Parties. Again, Black Voters Struggle with Racism in Both the Democratic and Republican Parties. This article was published February 9th of 2019. Again, February 9th of 2019. This is written by Andra Gillespie. Again, Andra Gillespie, Black Voters Struggle with Racism in Both Democratic and Republican Parties. And, you know, it's a good, you know, argument. It's a good article. And she makes some very good points in this particular article. Because unfortunately, you have a lot of Democrats that feel as though they are above reproach. They feel as though, you know, because they're the Democratic Party and black people have voted, you know, in in mass for the Democratic Party and that they are, you know, entitled to the black vote. And they felt that way for a long time and they still feel that way. And what they'll do is they'll put up some black people, black and brown, you know, um, yellow, red people, and say, look, we have black and brown people here. We can't be racist. Yes, you can, and you are. And again, what are some of those black and brown people getting from you? Are they getting paid? Are you giving them recognition? How does that work out? Because, you know, we all know that there is quid pro quo in a lot of this. So, again, I just want you to go (laughs) uh, and read that article because, you know, in this article here, one of the – this paragraph here says, first, it is disingenuous to assume that just because blacks are overwhelmingly democratic that they are not critical of their party. Yes, they are. And what happens is in situations like this where we critique the Democratic Party – We're now being called Russian bots and trolls and all of these things. And why haven't you said anything in all this time? It's funny that you're just saying this now. Honey, go back and look at my podcast. It goes all the way back to 2011. 
and you will hear me, you know, talking about the Democrats, you know, and I specifically talk about progressive Democrats and liberal Democrats and moderate Democrats. Because what people have not seemed to realize is that the Democratic Party is right of center now. And a lot of the policies they put together specifically, you know, the Affordable Care Act, that was a Democratic platform. You know, that was one of their, you know, um, um, platform um, policies that they had been trying to put forth for a while. I mean, even if you go back to when Bill Clinton was elected, Hillary she wanted to deal with health care. She took that upon herself and tried to tackle it. And it was still right of center. So, you know, you need to understand the history of this party and what has happened. And one of the things that angers me are the ones, are the people that are getting angry with me because I am not enthusiastically supporting Biden. I can't bring myself to do it. And you can't make me. And when we talk about him, we give you more than enough evidence, but yet some of you are doing, you know, what you've been taught in church. And this is why sometimes you hear, hear people say that, you know, that, that politics and religion make strange bedfellows. Because the way that many of you all are treating Biden and some of these other problematic white people that are in positions of power, whether it's politics or social or what have you, you're treating them the same way and you're gaslighting us the same way in which, you know, we're gaslighted when we talk about your pastors and some of your community leaders. Well, God changed him. You don't know what's in his heart. You don't know how they've changed. Or, well, God accepted this. You know, you know the people in the Bible, the important people in the Bible, they were murderers and and liars and all of these things, but, you know, they, they changed because God changed their hearts, right? And all of these other, you know, excuses that you make, you're doing the same thing for these people. But, you know, a lot of that is from the training, and it's been passed down. But I just want you to take notice of what you're doing. And I've been, you know, critiquing the Democrats even before my show, honey. This ain't nothing new with me. You know, if you know any of my family members, especially some of my closer cousins, they will tell you I used to argue them down about the Democrats because I was a Republican. You know, not anymore, but I'm not a Democrat either. I'm an independent. I've never claimed to be a Democrat, ever. And so, but, you know, I do try to be fair and balanced, if you will, when it comes to these things. And, you know, you have people out here telling folks like me to suck it up and just vote for Biden. All this sucking up, all this has done is created the situation that we're in now. And I'm not sucking up anything. Now, I can name a few things you can go suck on. But I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. They're not listening to the people. And they're trying to make sure that they keep their party right of center. You know, if you go back and you look at some of the interviews and some of the talking points from Nancy Pelosi, she says that, you know, basically she's trying to seem reasonable 
and and they're siding with a lot of the Republicans, you know, policies that they're trying to put out there so that they won't piss off and anger their working class whites, their working poor whites and their poor whites. Even though some of the policies that need to be put forth would greatly benefit those communities, they don't care, some of them. They don't care because as long as black people are being hurt and harmed by it, they'll, they'll be okay with it. They figure that they'll recover. And they understand about their whiteness and their white skin and their white privilege. Even though they try to claim that they do not understand what white privilege is and that white privilege does not exist. So anyway, another article on the Washington Post that you can go and read, um, again, you know, the title of this article is The Politics of Race Are Shifting and Politicians Are Struggling to Keep Pace. Again, the politics of race are shifting and politicians are struggling to keep pace. This was written by Dan Balls, B-A-L-Z, again, Dan Balls, and this was published July 5th of this year, right? And so right here in this article, it says, when two in three Americans now say they support the Black Lives Matter movement, when thousands upon thousands of Americans march in the streets of big cities and small towns, when the National Football League reverses its positions on players kneeling during the national anthem, when Mississippi eliminates the Confederate symbol from its flag, there seems little question that for now that this is a materially different moment. Now, what I need for you all to understand is that, again, you know, you have a lot of virtue signaling out here. You have a lot of these empty platitudes that are being voiced. And, you know, bringing down a Confederate statue and taking the Confederate symbol off of your flag and all of these things, you know, look, that's great, wonderful. But where are our reparations? Where is the money to reinvest in our communities so that we could have thriving communities? Where is the money for, you know, uh, head starts, daycare? You know, where's the money for the schools in our neighborhoods, whereas they've turned a swimming pool into a storage unit, that they're using books that are 20 years old? Some of them are probably still using books that I used when I was in school, and that's a long time ago. So we need about, we need real change. We need systemic change. You know, having these white people doing these videos and crying or, or saying that, you know, I'm 20 years late, but I understand that Black Lives Matter now, and I'm trying to change. That is fantastic, and I commend you, because there's a lot of things that you all need to unlearn and to deprogram from. And, you know, and that's not to take away from any of that, but we need you to help push these people in power, the politicians and what have you, to make systemic change. We need real change, and you can use your voices for that, you know, and, you know, you have some real allies that are out here. I understand that. Use it for good, but not to shut down conversations and not to silent people, silence people. But in addition to that, not to whitewash these particular movements because, see, with, with this is being corporatized, you know, and and this is where it becomes dangerous 
because they're taking, you know, a lot of the power away from these movements when they do this. And this is not something new. You go back and you look at the history of it, you know, and it's amazing, you know, how much these things have changed. And, and, but you need to ask yourself about the reasons why there have been these changes. And, you know, with the cheddar tater tot, he's sticking to his guns. So, you know, again, you know, they're not dog whistles anymore. He's screaming it from the rooftops. And this is why you're going to see more white supremacists, white nationalists, alt-right, you know, rallies and, and rhetoric and all of that. And what Trump and Sessions and their people have managed to do is conflate those white supremacists with people that they consider as undesirables, like the anti-racist folks, the anti-fascist folks. And what they're doing is they're, they're trying to put out these false equivalencies that, you know, the anti-fascists, the anti-racists are just as culpable as these white nationalists, these white supremacists, these white globalists. And they go by other names as, as well. You know, you'll hear them say, well, I'm not racist. I'm just a racial realist. No, you're a fucking racist, dude. And it's so funny because when they come to me and they start talking that shit, I'm like, you must really think I'm stupid or I don't pay attention. And, you know, I push back some, but again, I'm not going to sit here and debate you with bullshit. You're wrong and you know you're wrong. So just accept the fact that I know you're wrong, you're full of shit, And I refuse to talk to you because, see, that's been a problem with a lot of the white people that I've encountered over the years is that I refuse to engage them. And they get really, really angry about that. It's just not worth it. It's not worth the headaches. You know, we push back. I push back on this show. I'll push back putting information out there. But as far as you wasting my time and trying to engage me in a debate, Yeah, you won't get that. I don't know you shit. And that's what that boils down to. Another article, and this is over in Jacob um, Jacobin Mag, right? And this particular article um, is entitled, The Emancipatory Past and Future of Black Politics. Again, The Emancipatory Past and Future of Black Politics. And this was written by Paul Prescott. Again, Paul Prescott, P-R-E-S-C-O-D, and is talking about black politics today. And, you know, it's contrasting about 75 years ago and black leaders and activists and how they shared a broad consensus about the importance of the labor movement and multiracial class organizing for black liberation. And that is what we need now. You know, and many of these movements you know, um, have been in solidarity with the labor movement as well as embracing a multiracial class, you know, um, or organizations or organizing and, 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 and outreach 
And so, you know, this is something black people have a long history of this. I posted an article about Hubert Henry Harrison um, on my page. And, again, I talk about that man. I love that guy. He's one of my heroes. He's also known as the Black Socrates. But the title of the article, if I can remember, was The Most Important Black Radical You Have Never Heard Of. And, again, his name is Hubert Henry Harrison. And I want you guys to really go back and read about him. He was one of the pioneers, you know, of, you know, this relationship that black people have with Marxism and socialism and and, and communism and the labor movement. He was one of the original architects for that, you know, as far as, you know, black history is concerned. And it's important that you go back. It's important that you know who he is. You have people like Asa Philip Randolph. You have people like John G. Jackson. Um, you have George Jackson in regards to the penal system and the prison industrial complex. You know, you have a lot of wonderful people. I've brought up um, Claudia Jones. You definitely want to know who she is and read some of, read up about some of her organizing. Um, you know, you'll be surprised some of the things that you learn about Zora Neale Hurston and, and her organizing and activism and a number of other people. But, um, you know, Joel Augustus Rogers, right, J.A. Rogers, you know, go back, look these people up and understand who they are because, you know, that is the path that's been laid for us. And they've done a lot of the work. We just have to go back and read it and figure out how to implement it in today's time. So, again, you know, that's that article. Another article is, you know, well, you know, I guess I'll go ahead. I'm trying to figure out. Um, I'm going to skip this article. I'm going to go to the next one. This one is on fastcompany.com, right? And the reason why I skipped the other article is because, you know, I have some real problems with it. I posted it on Reddit. I have some real problems with it, and because I won't be able to address it in this time frame, I'm just going to skip it. You can read it yourself. But this particular article was published June 7th of this year. Again, June 7th. It's on FastCompany.com, and the title of the article, A Scholar of Black Politics Explains Why They're aren't national African-American leaders in this movement. A scholar of black politics explains why there aren't any or aren't national African-American leaders in this moment. And this was written by Vincent Adejumo, A-D-E-J-U-M-O. And, you know, basically, you know, he's talking about what happened. He talked about, you know, Malcolm X and his ballot or the bullet speech, um, and a number of black leaders in the past, right, that have been out there. So, you know, you have King and Bayard Rustin and a number of other ones, um, John Lewis, Andrew Jackson, Maynard Jackson, and, you know, um, Abernathy, a number of folks, right? And you also have people like Asada Shakur, you have Elaine Brown, you have um, Angela Davis, and, and... you know, a number of other notables. You know, I don't want it to just be lost on the people that we hear about. You know, um, you know, you have Fannie Lou Hamer, you have Daisy Bates, you know, all of these wonderful people, Diane Nash, you know, because I talk about this a lot of times, and, you know, usually you hear the men's names, but I'm making a point 
to speak about the black women that have been integral to all of this. Because if if it were not for black women, these movements would not have started. They would not have been continued. They would not have been funded. These people would not have been fed, you know, but yet, you know, they've been factored out of the history, right, just totally written out of the history. But in this particular um, article, you know, they're talking about, you know, how some of these leaders were not speaking the way politicians often do with platitudes and cliches. That's what I was saying earlier about platitudes, empty platitudes. And in some of the ones of the past, they were not afraid of making white people upset and knew that doing so was risking their own lives. Well, people today, of course, they don't want to mess up their money. You know, they, they want quid pro quo, as I said earlier. They want the speaking engagements. They want to be on television as a talking head, you know, whether as a guest or having their own show. And some of, some of these people want their own reality shows. Why you would want to put your life on Front Street like that, I will never understand. But, oh, well. You know, um, it will mess with their money. And I mean, and I get that. You know, people have jobs, they have careers, they have, you know, livelihoods, you know, their income streams, they have children that they have to, you know, take care of and, and, and buy these things for and ensure their futures. You know, they, they, they want and desire things in life. I understand that. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, You know, one of my biggest problems is when you try to turn around and basically silence other people because they're making white people upset and your white allies, you know, are coming to you asking you uncomfortable questions. And what's interesting is a few of them have turned around and tried to change up their platform and start talking about these issues, but then they want to redefine white supremacy. They want to redefine white privilege. They want to make their white benefactors and sponsors feel good and feel better about what's happening. They want to assure them that they're the good whites, you know, that they want to assuage any of those fears when they know good and damn well it's a bunch of bullshit. But they get rewarded for making white people feel better about themselves feel better about this situation. No, you had nothing to do with slavery, but yet your family fortune came from the enslavement of black people. And that's been passed down through the generations. So you benefit from that. And you're benefiting directly because of the wealth that was accumulated by your forefathers and mothers. So read this particular article. It's really important, and this is why sometimes you'll hear me talking about, you know, some of these public into, black public intellectuals and some of these academics because they'll go on these shows and they'll talk that talk, but in real life, you're not going to catch them at a protest. You're not going to catch them at a march unless it's a safe one, like the, the white women's march. I've never protested in all of my life, and I just felt inspired to come out here and be a part of this. But you're a pussy hat. So anyway, ah, there is another article. It's on Princeton's website, so press.princeton.edu. The title of the article is The Roots of Black Political Unity. Again, The Roots of Black Political Unity 
and it's written by Ishmael K. White and Cheryl Ann Laird. Again, Ishmael K. White and Cheryl Ann Laird. And this was published February 27th of this year. And it gives you the history of black political unity. And again, this is not an exhaustive type of article. You know, go and do that research for yourself. You know, um, again, I send you guys down rabbit holes on purpose. But, you know, it's, it's crucial that you understand how this works because how are we going to move forward? And I can pretty much tell you, it's going to be a whole bunch of you that are going to be really angry with me and, and what I'm getting ready to do. So um, I'm just kind of letting you know that, you know, a lot of this shit is just unacceptable anymore. But, you know, I'm going to come at you with the truth, and it is what it is. And so it's going to be interesting, but in this particular article, it's talking about black churches. And in this paragraph right, right here, it says, black churches had also provided space for Jones to appeal to black voters on Sundays leading up to the election, and reports indicated that there were significant mobilizations, efforts by local NAACP chapters and other black political organizations, right? And so basically, um, with this particular excerpt here, is talking about, um, you know, how the church has played a role, right? And Basically, with here, they're talking about Doug Jones and what happened in Alabama. So I guess I better give you all a little bit more of this when um, Doug Jones and how black women came out for Doug Jones and how Doug Jones then turned around and did what they do and basically said that he will sometimes um, side with the Republicans and vote with the Republicans. You have a lot of Democrats out here that are Democrats pretty much in name only because they know good and damn well that they will not be elected as a Republican and they need those black votes. We have to stop allowing them to use us like that. And these are Democrats. And so, again, look, read this article. Um, I have like a few more and then I'm going to sign on out because I'm tired and there are some things I need to do today. But this particular article is entitled Black Americans are in an abusive relationship with the Democratic Party. Again, Black Americans are in an abusive relationship with the Democratic Party. This was written by Derricka Purnell, and this was published May 22nd of this year. Again, May 22nd. And I posted this a while ago, so um, some of you may be familiar with the article, but um, it was talking about Joe Biden and his gaffes and the problems. Now, again, if we're in an abusive relationship with you know, the Democratic Party, basically, you know, with the Republican Party, you know, get ready to put your shackles back on and be ready to pick yourself some cotton because that's basically where some of them are trying to go. And the truth of the matter, if you go and you read some of their, you know, again, talking points in regards to slavery and enslaved people, they will tell you that it really wasn't that bad. You had a place to stay. You had food. You had a job. And if you look at what's happening with Donald Trump and Steve Miller and a number of, you know, their people, you know, that's the direction that they're going in. That's just my opinion. And that's why it's dangerous. But, again, 
I truly believe that he's going to be reelected. I don't want you to be surprised. So anyway, there's another article, right? And this is in the Atlantic. And this article is from March 31st of 2016. Again, March 31st of 2016, when black voters exited left. Again, when black voters exited left, it says here, when African-Americans lost by aligning with the Democratic Party. And this was written by Matthew Delmont. Again, Matthew Delmont. Um, Gordon Reed, I need you to read. I need you all to start reading more. I mean, there are a number of wonderful books out there. And, you know, I wasn't prepared to give off a book list right now. But, you know, next week I'll make sure I put out some books. Um, Another article, Washington Post, why African Americans, excuse me, why are African Americans such loyal Democrats when they are so ideologically diverse? Again, why are African Americans such loyal Democrats when they are so ideologically diverse, right? And this was written by Theodore R. Johnson. Again, Theodore R. Johnson. And this was written or published September 28, 2016. And, you know, it's talking about Hillary Clinton and winning the black vote by a huge margin. And she did. You know, the problem was not enough black people voted, not enough white people voted, not enough brown people voted, not enough Asian people voted, not enough indigenous people voted, not enough people voted across the board because she won the popular vote, but she lost the electoral college. And the electoral college in and of itself needs to be abolished, but that's a whole different situation. But the thing is, is that we have to stop allowing the Democrats to blame their losses on the black community. We have to stop allowing them to scapegoat us and gaslight us. And we have to stop doing it to each other. And honestly, with Donald Trump, I believe, I really truly believe that he is going to get a historic black vote. He's going to win, you know, a a, a good percentage of black voters in, you know, the most in Republican history, you know, a recent Republican history. And there are reasons for that. And I will say you all need to keep these politicians out of your churches You need to keep them out of your rallies, out of your protests. You need to keep them as far away from whatever you're trying to do as possible because they only come around when they want you to vote. They make empty promises that they're never going to keep, and they know they're never going to keep it, and then they turn around and scapegoat you, kind of like, you know, again, with religion. If you've been praying for A, B, and C and it didn't happen, They'll say you didn't have enough faith, no matter how much money you put in the collection plate, no matter how hard you prayed, how hard you believed, it's your own fault. And you're the one to blame. And because of your lack of faith or your weak faith, you know, they'll tell you that the whole church has suffered because of you. And in this case, the whole community has suffered. And, you know, we need to change this narrative. It's incumbent upon us to take this narrative back and to hold Democrats accountable. And you have people here, you know, out here now saying, well, you know, don't talk about it. You're going to discourage people from voting. We'll hold them accountable once they get elected. And, again, 
we've heard this election after election after election, and you all don't hold anybody accountable. You don't hold, you know, little so-and-so up the block accountable, let alone your pastor, let alone your politicians, let alone some of your favorite people out here who are problematic as hell. So how am I supposed to believe that you're going to hold these politicians accountable? They've gotten what they want. And also something that some people don't know, if you win one term in the House of Representatives or one term as a senator, and I'm talking federal, you receive a percentage of your salary for the rest of your life. You get the Cadillac plan health benefits for the rest of your life. And so, you know, it's interesting because they don't want to extend to the American public the same Cadillac plan that they have. And, you know, they got better than a Cadillac plan. They have the damn Ferrari plan over there. Why not? Why are we not eligible for the same things that they are? And that's because they know they're doling out bullshit to the rest of us. So anyway, again, question everything. Question everything. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. I'll be doing a show on Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. I don't have a title. I'll try to get that written up today or tomorrow. But you will hear from me Wednesday evening as well as next Sunday. Like I said, I'm back. I'm ready to do this. And it's so much to talk about and to go over. So until then, you guys, enjoy your Sunday. I missed you, and thank you for sticking with me. I appreciate you. Take care. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.